Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Well, if you hold on to the blue sheet, the, the part of the Bible I'm going to try and talk from is uh, just on page two. Um, never, on page three, never were two phrases least likable to go together. The man who had it all, and then it says my name underneath. I'm going to keep that because it's such rubbish. <laughs> The man who had it all is the story on page two. The chap who's in this story is found in three of the four accounts of the life of Jesus. And as we read our story tonight, again, uh, we'll find out a few things about him. He's rich, which is okay, isn't it? You know, he's got a few quid in his pocket. Uh, He's young. He's a ruler of some kind. Uh, We're not told what in the accounts. He's a rich young ruler, and he's a very nice chap. Look at verse 16 there. Look how well-spoken he is. Now, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? What What a nice bloke in his manner and approach. So he's rich, he's young, he's got some kind of authority, he's a very nice chap. My eldest daughter is married, but if she wasn't, she could marry him. I wouldn't have many complaints. In fact, he's only missing one thing if you look ever so closely. Rich young ruler, very polite. Do you see what he's missing there? Do you see it? He's not Welsh. (laughs) It's a shame, isn't it? He could have had it all, this lad. You weren't expecting that, I know. I know. Here he comes to Jesus, and he asks this question. And we'll see as we go through the story, it looks a pretty sincere question, actually. Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? It sounds an excellent question, if I dare ask you to look at it again. What good thing must I do to get eternal life? The universal assumption is that to be a Christian is about your achievement, how decent you are, how well you've done. There are some people in the room who have have known this for many years and seen through it. You say, well, it's patently not the case. But I reckon we're all an hour away, even if we've been a Christian 50 years. I'm not assuming you're a Christian this evening. But if you've been a Christian 50 years, I think one's an hour away constantly from judging my performance for Jesus by how well I've just done and feeling I'm a rubbish Christian if I've just failed. So I hope that this little passage cuts across all of us, really, wherever we start out this morning and exploring, this evening and exploring Christianity. Jesus gives this bloke three chances to see it's a terrible question. That to have a relationship with Jesus is nothing to do with how well you can perform for God. Zero. And he gives him three chances, and he's so gentle with him. Let's, let's have a go at them. Let's have a look at this story. What good thing must I do to get eternal life? Then verse 17. Here's strike one, if you want to play a sporting metaphor. Here he comes. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. 
Here's the first of three chances he gives him to say, ah, you, know, you don't do good things to get to heaven then. Why do you ask me about what is good? He's a Jewish boy. He'd have grown up in a culture where he would have known there was a sacrificial system in his religion, where there had to be punishment paid for what the Bible calls sin. So he'd have grown up in a world where God is perfect, we are not, and there's a price to be paid for our imperfection, and we don't have any rights before God unless there is a sacrifice on our behalf. And yet he still comes up to Jesus and says, tell me the deal. I'm really up for it. I'd like to be one of yours. I'd like to get to heaven, actually. Just give me the deal, because I know how to make things work. I'm a grafter. I pull things off. I'm an achiever. You tell me what to do, and I'm up for it. And Jesus really cuts him down. You're up for it, are you? What, you're good enough? Have you not looked around you growing up? Do you not realize that only God is good? In other words, not you then, is it? You're not good enough. And sometimes that's a tremendous offense. Sometimes it's tremendously rude in the eyes of a receiver when somebody says, well, you cannot be a Christian because you're good enough, because you are not good enough. That's the implication. Does it jar? Because for some people in this room tonight, that is a great liberation. What? I can be a Christian even if I've screwed it up. How many times? Ten times? A hundred times? Five thousand times? Well, I can be a Christian without being good enough. Yes. Whoa. Tell me more. Whereas immediately for some people when they'll hear this, I'm not suggesting this is you, of course, but immediately they say, that is so offensive I mean, I know so many people who are really horrible. I mean, I'm nowhere near as bad as some people. Are you saying that I'm to be lumped with people who can't get to heaven because we're not good enough? How dare you? Well, let's take strike two. The next sentence says this. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. This almost looks like a contradiction. No one's good but God, so you're not good enough, so it's the wrong question. Now, it's almost as if he comes from the same thing from a different angle now and changes perspective on him and says, I'll tell you what, then, you're strike two. Uh, you know the commandments, and the bloke would have gone, yeah, I know the commandments. I grew up learning them. There's ten of them. Ten major commandments. Yeah, I know them. They were the sort of ten big laws of God in the Jewish scriptures in the Old Testament, as a Christian calls it. Yeah, I know the ten. He's loving it. Look at him. He loves this really solid ground, religious ground. Keep the rules. I know the rules. But all he's going to do is show him that you can't keep the rules. He's just going to show him like a good teacher in different ways. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Magic, verse 18. Which ones? The man inquires. Jesus replies, don't murder don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. That means false testimony. Don't lie. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. If you look closely at those phrases, there are six phrases. The Ten Commandments were split into two parts. The first four, this is a crude way to put it, were vertical. How we treat God. 
Don't have any gods before me, for example. It's me and God. The second six were horizontal. What you do to each other, don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't murder. Four and six, Jesus lists five of the six social commandments, and he leaves one out. The sixth phrase here, the sixth clause, love your neighbor as yourself, is a summary for the six social commandments that's used elsewhere in the Bible, but it is not a one of the individual commandments. Jesus leaves one out. So let me recap. Hello, I'd really love to have eternal life. I'd like to be in with you. Great. Uh, why do you call me good? What good thing must I do? No one can be good enough. Two, keep the commandments. I, yeah, which ones, which ones? Leaves one out. At this point, the boy should have said, you've left one out. You've left out. Do you not even know the six social commandments? They say you're the best teacher who ever lived. You've left it out. What are you doing? That's what he should have said. But he doesn't. See what he says there? 20. All these I've kept. What do I still lack? Oh, he's gone for the bluff with Jesus. <laughs> oh, what's he doing? He's played the bluff card. Oh, what a muppet. Shouldn't have done it. Should not do it. If Jesus is, and it's a big if, which Christianity Explored might help some people to really push back on. If Jesus really is the creator of the world, become a human being. And if he really does know you because he made you. And if he leaves out one of the social commandments when every kid knows them in this culture... He must be doing it for a reason, right? Spoke at a school in Milton Keynes many years ago to a year nine assembly. And um, when I arrived at the school, I had never been there before. And there was a big foyer in the entrance. Uh, and there was one little boy, I reckon about 12 or 13, standing against the wall outside the head teacher's office. And he was as pale as this wall here. I really pale. And I thought he was ill. It was first thing in the morning. Nobody else there. And I said, I'm looking for Mrs. Evans to do a year nine assembly. Um, where would I go? He said, go that way. I said, before I go, I said, are you all right? I said, are you, you going to be sick? He said, I, no, I think I'm all right. So I said, well, what's the matter? Because I was a bit worried because there's no one there. And he said, oh, uh, yesterday it was pouring with rain when school ended. So to get to the buses, we all had to come through here instead of going around the outside to get on the bus. Uh, and he said, and, and something terrible happened. I said, what happened? He said, well, somebody, because there was about 300 people in this foyer, and somebody took that fire extinguisher over there, smacked it down and sprayed it for about six and a half seconds. I said, really? <laughs> he said, yeah. <laughs> I said, uh, did you do it? He said, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Pity, isn't it? Pity. Because he did know, didn't he? He just didn't know the head name. Isn't I couldn't leave the school, actually. I had to find out before going, though I had no right to, to ask. I did ask, uh, could I see the head teacher? And had he confessed to it? And he denied that he'd done it, but he'd been seen doing it, so he got punished once, twice. Once for doing it and once for lying. <laughs> Poor boy. Poor boy. He went for the bluff. 
All these I have kept, the young man said. What is missing? I'm self-sufficient, I'm a decent guy, and there's nothing wrong with this at all. I'm a civilised citizen, I do my best to play my role in society. I'm really interested in Christianity. Tell me what to do and I'm up for having a crack at it. Jesus has given him two chances. He could have said, oh yeah, I'm not good enough. I didn't think of that. He could have said, you've left one out. Oh, oh, the one you've left out is do not covet. Don't be greedy. Don't be grasping. That's what he leaves out. Don't be dissatisfied with your lot. Stop chasing all the time for more and better. That's the one he left out. Do not covet or don't be greedy. Now, what would be the worst thing to say to a tight man? Do you use that word? It means drunk sometimes, doesn't it? In my culture, it means mean. You use that? Yeah? You know the sort of chap, first out of the taxi, last to the bar. Okay, do you know one? Is it you? Okay, all right. This is what we're talking about now. What is the worst thing to say to somebody like that? Jesus has sussed him out. Look at what he says to him. All these I've kept, what do I still lack? Verse 20, 21. Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. That is a dagger to the heart. Jesus has worked out his fatal weak spot. He's worked out what he worships more than anything. He's worked out what gives him more satisfaction in life. And he said, do you see that? That's what stops you being good enough. At your deepest level, you dream of getting more and better and more and better, and you're always after something else. And I can see it, and let me tell you that that means that you cannot have a relationship with me because you've no chance of putting me in first place, and you need help. My word, how gentle Jesus is here. I mean, couldn't he have turned to this bloke after the second strike when he left out, do not covet, don't be greedy? Couldn't he have turned to him and said, as I did, you, Wally, what are you doing? Don't pretend to come at me and say, what do I do to get to heaven? I've given you two chances. Don't you know the state of your heart? Admit it, man. You may be a decent bloke, it's grand, but you've got to get that underneath, like everybody else, you're riven with fractures in the soul. And Jesus might have said to him, it's okay, admit it. Just admit it, because being a Christian isn't about being better than everybody, or being a great success, or keeping the moral standards. It's about realizing you can't, and somebody can do something about it. No, there's nothing worse to say to a tight man than that. There was a man in my street, actually, who worked with my dad called Tom Tite. Uh, Dull and Thomas country, growing up, under Milkwood. 
So people had the nickname, the surname that went with their nickname, but as a seven-year-old, I didn't know that that's how it worked. So one day, there was a Tom Tight, because you was mean, and there was also a Tom Sundays in my street. There was also an Evans above, who was the undertaker. <laughs> he was, he was, he was, that was his name, Evans above. And on they go. There was a uh, Dai Bungalow, not very bright, he had nothing upstairs. He, he, the, the list could go on. We could go on. We could go on and have some comedy, but... I got in real trouble one day with um, Tom Sundays uh, because uh, I was kicking a ball against the wall of our garden at about 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning as a little boy and uh, before chapel, and Tom Sundays went off early to chapel, spotted me, and I thought I'd be quite grown up. I can remember it now. It was a very painful experience. I thought I'd be very grown up. And he said, oh, Graham Daniels, in Welsh, what are you doing, kicking a ball against the wall? You shouldn't be doing that before going to chapel. I said, oh, sorry, Mr. Sundays. Uh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't, I know. And I went indoors. And about 10 minutes later, it wasn't child abuse. This happened in the 60s and 70s. My mum gave me a clout, wall up, like that. It was allowed then. Uh, I said, well, I'm not advocating it. I'm just saying. It's not an imperative, it's an indicative. I said, what's the matter? What have I done? She said, why did you call him Tom Sundays? I said, what's what you and Daddy call him? She said, he's Evans, Tom Evans. I said, what are you calling Tom Sundays then? She said, because he's very, very, very religious and judgmental. And then they all fell into place. I realized that I had a cousin, and I thought my cousin was called, I thought his surname was Central Eating. <laughs> Die Central Eating. He was at like 16, I was seven. Die Central Eating. I said to my mother, you know, she said, she said, look, Evans, above is the undertaker. He's not called above, and so on. So I got the whole lesson. I said, well, what about Die Central Eating then? She said, well, have you never noticed he's got no teeth? They were knocked out to the front of his mouth when he was 14. Die Central Eating. <laughs> oh, you're slow, man. You're slow, yeah. You're very slow this evening. Central Eating. Couldn't eat, see? So, Tom Tight. Tom Tight. Oh, friends. I wish I was better at explaining this story. Honestly, I do wish. Because I think only God can open our mind. It's not intellectual capacity that sees this story. It's not your brains that can see the heart of this story. It's nothing about your ability to crack open the ideas that would help anyone to understand this story. The story is so simple, like so much of the Bible. There's no one in this room this evening who, if you didn't scratch the wallpaper a bit, we couldn't find a whole lot of nonsense underneath, right? There isn't one of us who, if we didn't just delve a little bit into the one thing you didn't want to tell anyone about yourself tonight, that we couldn't be embarrassed and caught, as it were, naked, because what goes on is so painful to us, so damaging so often to others and to ourselves. It's just the way it is. And we do try to be decent. I do believe in Mark's account of this story, it says Jesus looked at him and loved him at a certain point. Jesus thought he means business, actually. He wasn't being facetious with him. But there isn't one of us 
or if we were ripped open in the soul tonight, whatever age we are, who would be able to hide the fact that we really, really are a mixture of hope and beauty and joy and real ugliness with the things that we think and we feel. And God sees them all. That's what he's trying to say to the bloke. Nothing wrong with being a decent citizen, but you've got to see this if you really mean what your question says. What do I do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, nothing. You've got no right to it at all. Nobody has a right to a relationship with God, not one of us. Well, the disciples, let's draw the story towards a close. His followers cannot believe it. Look at 23. 22, the boy goes away sad because he's great wealth. He's gutted. He's just gutted. Jesus has just gone, I know you, you know, I know. And he walks. He just walks, and Jesus doesn't call him back. He respects our decisions. He treats us with integrity, and he let him walk. Well, Jesus' followers call the disciples. They can't believe it, 23. Jesus says to the disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. As Gareth said at the beginning, it's, it's the self-sufficiency that at its best is very important. You, you do work hard. You do your best. You do try. It's a good thing. But very quickly, self-sufficiency is mingled with pride and that I must be the kind of woman or man that God really needs and wants because of my decency. And then we've tipped too far. So Jesus tries, he makes a joke. It would have been funny then. It's not funny now. I tell you that now. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. My goodness, how you'd have, you'd have laughed at that joke at the time. You know, because there were camels in the street of full wood and things. Obviously, it's not funny now, is it? No, it's not. Camel, big hump, by of a needle, doesn't fit. See? See? <laughs> Easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle and a rich man. Very hard to do. When the disciples heard it, they were astonished and said, Who can be saved then? I mean, Jesus, if a bloke that nice can't have a relationship with God, who's got a chance? I mean, he's a lovely bloke. Isn't that the definition of a Christian? They can't believe it. Maybe I can't believe it. And the last line of our little passage from the Bible tonight says, with Jesus... Jesus looked at them and says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Perhaps I'll be really candid as I draw to a close. There isn't one of us in the room tonight who has any right to say to God, tell me what to do and it'll get me to heaven. Not one of us has the right to say it. That's the point of the story, partly. With man and woman, this is impossible. We're in real trouble before God. In fact, the Bible says we will account before the holy God on the day when our life ends. We will stand before him, 
And in the same way that when we see somebody do something really wrong, if it's really close to home, this is powerful. You see somebody do something really wrong, and if they get away with it, you're really cross because it's just not right that somebody should do something really wrong and get away with it. That innate desire for justice comes from the fact that the God who is justice created us. And if there's got to be justice because God is just, then it means that he has to be just with me. And he knows me, and I will account for the things that I've done. And the Bible calls it a day of judgment. In fact, the Bible says that we will be separated from God because of that forever. And the word the Bible uses is a place called hell, the absence of God. It is never a popular message. It is never easy to receive. It will never be politically correct, but it's what Jesus says. With man and woman, it's impossible to have a relationship with a holy God. But here's the best news in the universe tonight. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. God is holy, but he is also love of the most huge, gigantic proportion. He is the definition of love. And in order that the price might be paid for this young man's heart and mine, God becomes a man in Jesus Christ, and he dies a death in your place and mine. And when he dies that death, he takes as the perfect man who was God my and your punishment out of massive love. I don't know if it sounds a bit soft, as I said in the interview with Gareth, to say how much God loves me. What it must be like to have somebody who made the universe, who flung the stars into space, who knows me inside out and knows my greed and says, but I love you, my friend, and I'm entirely committed to you. No, whatever you've done, however many times you've screwed it up, whatever you've got wrong, whatever you've done, I'll pay. It's too outrageous, isn't it? I'll pay for it. What? Everything, everything, the whole lot, everything, I'll take it so that you may have eternal life, that you personally may have a relationship with God. Not your parents, you. Not your pal, you. A first-hand relationship with God. It is a marvelous thing, and what is impossible by our own effort is possible with God. This is the heart of the Christian faith. It is the foundation and the end of the Christian faith. If you think tonight, I don't know that I've ever really said to God, it's not what I can do, it's what you have done. If you've never really acknowledged that before God, you can say to him tonight, I can't do it, but you have done everything I need, and I trust you, Jesus. This is the first step to a new life with Jesus at the heart of it. A life that lasts forever. If you see even a glimpse of that tonight and you've never seen it before, 
please forgive me if this sounds patronizing. It's not meant to. If you see a glimpse of the beauty of that statement, you're closer than you ever imagined to getting Jesus Christ. And secondly and lastly, for those of you in the room who say, I trust in Christ. I know I'm not good enough. But just the attack on the sneaking thing that comes up on us day after day and week after week, which I pointed out at the beginning. You're not good enough. And if you've been a Christian 25 years, you're still not good enough. And it's a foolish lie that says, actually, now I've been a Christian 30 years, I should be earning the right to please God. It's foolishness. The joy of being in Jesus is knowing that you don't deserve anything tonight. Nothing. But he continues to pour out his love into your heart and mind weekly. Even when you screw it, he's there, he's back, he never goes. And the joy of the Christian life is acknowledging that truth week after week and not falling into your own performance and judging yourself a rubbish Christian against somebody else. Bomb it out tonight, again as we meet together in church. This is sheer unadulterated love for people like you and me. With man, this is impossible. But with God, this is possible. And it is a great privilege and an honor and a loving, heartwarming joy to know it's true. Shall I pray for us? Thanks, Lord, for your word, the Bible. Thanks for the stories, for the history, for the beauty of these truths which come at us in a thousand ways but to the same hard truth. What is impossible by our human efforts is entirely possible by your great justice and love. Help us to be enthralled by it as we go on to the rest of our evening. In Jesus' name, amen.